scratch and sniff. 1984 Indira Gandhi, ruler of the world's largest democracy, died today, shot down by two of her own In bodyguards. Ethiopia, seven million people are threatened by starvation. Thousands have already... The Princess of Wales has had her baby and it's a boy. The birth was at 20 past four, but... Violence on the miners' picket lines reached a new level today. This morning, Arthur Scargill was arrested outside the Orgreave... The world of entertainment has been paying tribute throughout the day to the memory of Eric Morecambe, the man who made people laugh for more than 40 years... The actor, Richard Burton, who died last Sunday, has been buried in... This is Gordon Gopher. Yes, the new addition to Children's BBC. Yes. And what about the vegetables? Oh, they'll have the same as me. That's it. That's it. McEnroe wins, three sets to love, 6-1, 6-1. Hello and welcome to SNS Online. What you just heard were a few of the news and entertainment snapshots that were experienced by the UK population in 1984, a year also defined by the birth of a pop empire that was to dominate the music charts for well over a decade. Well, 33 years after Mike Stock, Matt Aitken and Pete Waterman's Hit Factory began, a brand new full-colour luxuriant coffee table book, Ministry of Pop, has just been released, featuring a detailed examination of a sore legend, with a plethora of rare photographs and magazine covers of the day. Written by former publisher of Time Out London, pop journalist and, most importantly, SNS Online returnee, Mr Mark Elliott. And he's here in the studio to talk all about it, but just before we do, let's take a listen to some of the many artists that packed a punch and produced hits with the boys from Stock, Aitken and Waterman. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the author of Ministry of Pop himself, Mr. Mark Elliott. So, Mark Elliott, former publisher of Time Out London and so much more, uh, welcome to Scratch and Sniff Online. Thank you very much, sir. I'm very pleased to be here. And uh, for those of you who might recognise Mark's voice and indeed his name, um, you're not uh, you're not new to Scratch and Sniff at all. You are an SNS Online returnee. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Don't give away all our secrets right at the start. There, I mean, we feel you know you deserve an extra special introduction for not only uh, your former publisher of Time Out London and also on Empire, where, wait for it, readers, he won a Periodical Publishers Association Award for Publisher of the Year after Mass Minding a one million 
increase in profits. That's one million pounds, not pennies. That's pretty good, Mark. Uh, there we are. See, now, if you carry on like this, I'm not going to be able to get out of the studio because my head <laughs> will explode. But you are one of SNS's most celebrated and indeed reliable uh, returnees covering the best of film, theatre and television during our, our broadcasting salad days on RTE. But just as a little reminder of, of how we were in those days, take a listen to this. Now, what makes this film interesting is that it's actually really the story about two men, because J. Edgar Hoover, for so all I of the... <laughs> <laughs> Look, Nick, there's not much man-on-man -man action in this uh, movie. But yeah, what it is, okay, is a sort of story Just about... Just very intense here, right? Go on, go on. It's a story about... Uh... <laughs> We have done this readers for a couple of months. Uh, so, anyway, go on. Okay. Yes. This better be good. <laughs> so basically, Jay Gahoover, famously, was he gay? So, Mark, do you remember that? I do. It's more fun than I remember, to be honest with you. But, uh, yeah, I um, I remember the film. I don't remember finding it so funny. But uh, there you are. You have this effect on me. Excellent stuff. Well, let's roll back those years to when you were a teenager. Hormones raging. Milk Snatcher Thatcher was PM. A spitting image began on TV. Doctor Who was arguably a little off-colour. Uh, and when you, Mr Mark Elliott, had that angelic choir moment when you realised that your favourite subject in the whole world beginning with the letter S, uh, was a uh, stock Aitken and Waterman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. I mean, <clears throat> obviously, when uh, I heard that first record, I had no idea who they were. I certainly wasn't paying any attention to the production credit on the record. But, of course, the artist was divine, and that was a artist that you really couldn't miss. And I remember the appearance by Divine on Top of the Pops where uh, he, she performed uh, You Think You're a Man, and it was just a great record, classic Shattering, dancey, synthy, and just really, really fantastic. And uh, I love that. And then I loved a record by Hazel Dean called Whatever I Do, Wherever I Go, and thought, OK, that's another record I like. And then over time, began to put two and two together and realised they were all coming from the same production team. And that, I suppose, is the start of my obsession with all things Stock Aitken and Waterman. And at number 26, and live on Top of the Pops tonight, it's Divine, and you think you're a man. Eighty-five. 
Just what is wrong with Rock Hudson? Tonight, the 59-year-old actor remains in a Paris hospital undergoing tests, but the nature of his illness has become clouded in mystery and... We're on fire here at Valley Parade. The whole end of the stand at one side is actually in flames. Now I can see the orange of the flames. The game is actually stopped. Here. There is not enough money coming in, and all these people are not playing for the good of their health. They're playing for the good of other people's health. So get your money out now. Fires are still burning in Brixton in South London after an evening of rioting. Tell us a little bit more about these three guys who got together. Did they assemble to want to conquer the pop music industry or was it more sort of a slow burner than that? I think it's like any sort of business project and obviously uh, Pete Waterman had been in the industry for years um, and Mike Stock and Matt Aiken were by their own admission struggling for a break. They came together, worked on a couple of things, started to get some success, and then it just grew from there. I think, um, you know, like any business project, there's a degree of luck involved. And I think with the genius of Mike's songwriting and Pete's ability to work the wider world and understand what was going on in the dance clubs and start over time to think about how that could be uh, repackaged, if you like, for a more mainstream audience. It was just a very lucky but very bright, sparky combination. So I'd say it was about great work and a bit of luck. I bought the Scotch videotape back in, uh, oh, 1983. Do you know, it was guaranteed for a lifetime. They said it didn't matter how many recordings I made, every one would be as good as the first. Well, I had my doubts about that at the time. But I don't know. I'm beginning to believe it now. Every recording as good as the first, or we'll give you a new tape. You can watch oh. Scotch forever. Obviously, Mike Stock is actually uh, an integral part of this uh, book. You, you've been working alongside him, is that right? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the three guys have, over time, all fallen out with each other. There is a better relationship between them now. But one of the challenges in terms of writing about what they did was to take a view around who, in, in a way, without sounding too blunt, was telling the truth. Now, Pete is a fantastic 
promoter, he's a salesman, and his narrative has really dominated the story of Stock Aiken and Waterman. I felt it was time to talk to Mike and to use his insights and perspective to tell the story in a slightly different way. None of it necessarily is wrong. It, different people have different recollections of、Absolutely, how things yeah, happened. Yeah. But it was very important to me that I worked with one of them to give one person a wider platform. And I felt Peter, in some ways, dominated the story until now. And of course, Mike Stock is the most, if you like, the creative uh, uh, link in the chain because he's the one who, who wrote all the musical lyrics. Or- Absolutely. He was essentially the key songwriter. I mean, how it worked really was Mike and Matt Aitken were the guys in the studio. Mike was really the lead songwriter and essentially the kind of, I would say, the musical head of the trio. Pete was very much involved in kind of bringing artists to them, marketing what they did, and was a bit like the front man, to be honest with you. And over time, I think that some of the tensions between the guys have arisen because Mike and Matt feel that Peter's taken more credit for creating the work. Uh, that perhaps he should. Independent music to me is when you're independent. I mean, literally, it's not about the music, it's about the, the state of、uh, the company, what, what your state of mind is. One of our biggest hits was、um, absolutely written about our attitude to the record industry. You can love us, you can hate us, you ain't ever gonna change us, because we ain't ever gonna be respectable. And that went on to be number one. I mean, the thing is, you know, I associate、uh, Pete Waterman with the one with the most profile. He's the one who's done all the, well,、uh, b- before the X Factor, it was、um, Pop Idol, etc.、Um, so when I think of those three guys, I think of his face, really. Of course. And, you know, Pete. No、uh, offense to the others at no, all, but. Absolutely. Pete was essentially very comfortable with that role and was very good at it. And, you know, obviously, even during the period when they were at their peak, he was already starting to do stuff outside of the unit, like、uh, that TV show, The Hit. Man and her, where of course he co presented that. And in some ways, that then changed the way the public viewed the work of the three of them, where it was already set up and had always been intended as a sort of essentially a trio, with each of them contributing important but not necessarily equal parts. The 25th flight of the American Space Shuttle has ended in disaster. The spacecraft Challenger exploded just over the Soviet Union has admitted that an accident has taken place at a nuclear power station at Chernobyl in the Ukraine. I, Sarah Margaret. I, Sarah Margaret. Take thee, Andrew Albert Christian Edward. Take thee, Andrew Albert Christian Christian Edward. Ready to order, sir? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just looking at your wonderful book here that's shining at me、uh, The Ministry of Pop, written by Mark Elliott.、Uh, it's in white and gold, although there are various other、um, options to buy limited editions.、Um, but the, the thing that struck me, sorry, just as, as you were finishing your last bit of chat, was the name Bill Tarmy up there. What did Bill Tarmy, aka Jack Duckworth, have anything to do with PWL? Well,、um, it was towards the end of the、uh, Stock Aiken <laughs> Waterman era, which lasted essentially, well, when I say the era of Stock Aiken Waterman, Uh, the unit between 
Pete and Matt uh, was over by about 92. Mm. Bill Tarmy came in uh, right at the end of the period when Pete was working with Mike and recorded a single called One Voice, uh, partly for charity. Um, It it charted. Um, He didn't appear on top of the pops. He had a Coronation Street filming commitment. For those of you not sure who Bill is, he was, of course, Jack Duckworth in Coronation Street. But, um, yeah, it's not necessarily one of the better-remembered records by the team. How fascinating. Um, I'm going to open this book, Mark, because it just, uh, it's calling to me. Blimey, do they all do that, Mark? They do, I'm afraid. Some of those songs are as catchy and contagious as chicken pop, so you need to be careful. Glossy book, loads of information in there, loads of uh, photographs, limited edition photographs, etc. Um, how have you sort of uh, broken it all up? Well, um, I took a very chronological approach with it. Um, there are a lot of artists and a lot of records. They had over 100 hit singles, let alone all the ones that didn't do quite so well. So essentially, I took a very kind of linear narrative and I broke everything down into years and and essentially the release schedule. So although um, inevitably, once you start talking about Mel and Kim, it becomes, for example, inevitable that you start talking about, obviously, uh, the sad death of Mel Appleby a few years later... Absolutely. Essentially, we try and stick with the story as it unfolded year by year. Um, in terms of pulling the book together, I mean, the words, obviously, I spent a lot of time working on uh, research to back up my knowledge of the subject. The images, which obviously make up a huge part of the book, uh, come from entirely my own record collection. So these are all records that I have at home. <laughs> well, I have actually seen your um, your record collection. It's a, it's a room. It's a complete walk-in um, uh, library, really. Yes, my uh, long-suffering husband would tell you it is a bit of an illness, actually, rather than a collection. But... Um, no, I do have a lot of records, and I've collected and bought, uh, you know, records ever since I was a teenager. Really, it's all I've ever, honestly, spent most of my money on. Um, and likewise, we've used a lot of material from magazines and newspapers at the time. Again, all from my own collection. Um, it, it's kind of a bit of a validation in a way. All this clutter, as some of my friends and family would call it, has actually helped me make, I think, uh, a reasonable hash of a book. Uh, so I don't know. We'll have to think about what might come next from my own collection. Nineteen eighty-seven. Good afternoon to you. Earlier on today, apparently a woman rang the BBC and said she heard that there was a hurricane on the way. Well, if you're watching, don't worry, there isn't. But having said the that, the storms I... left three million people in the dark this morning. They had no electricity. 
In many homes, it was a cold breakfast by candlelight. The daylight revealed the full horror of what happened last night. The herald of free enterprise lay on her port side. Rescue ships were at the scene, hoping that more survivors might be found. Well, if you've just joined us on BBC One, uh, I'm sorry that you're not able to uh, be watching the news, which is on at the moment, or should be on at the moment. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that we've had a fire in the building and the news has had to be abandoned. For the moment, we'll just leave you with some music. of international understanding, Marathon has changed its name to Snickers. It's still packed with peanuts and still covered with the smoothest milk chocolate, but now the Marathon says Snickers. Excuse-moi, have you got the Snickers? No, love, just the way I walk. Snickers, all that's changed is the name. Now, one thing I remember from our RT days is that uh, we'll be talking about something and then it would, it would cut to you and then you would just sort of take it upon yourself to introduce a song, um, which I sort of I let roll with because I thought it was quite cool. Um, so I think seeing this is your show today and we're talking all about Stockades and Waterman, um, what would be your... Well, I think we'd give you a few tracks tonight. What would be your first one you'd like to uh, celebrate? OK, the first one I'm going to pick um, is a not very well-known track and they didn't actually write this song, but uh, it's a really good example of a fantastic production and a really, really strong singer. So the song I'm going to pick as my first choice this evening is Laura Branigan and her 1987 single Shattered Glass. Bring it on.
smells up here often come from down there in your carpet. Smells from your dog and tobacco too. Well, shake and back from Gladys here. Do the shake and back and put the freshness back. Do the shake and back and put the freshness back. When your carpet smells fresh, your room does too. Every time you vacuum, remember what to do. Do the shake and back and put the freshness back. Shaken back, the new carpet and room freshener from Glade. One thing, Michael, I'm gonna have to insist on. It's gotta be done in the best possible day. Time to feel hot. Time to boss a sweat. It seems you were a complete shoe-in for this project. I mean, presumably, if somebody else had done it who had, didn't have this collection, I mean, would you be, would you been able to gather these these amazing images um, just just uh, on the net? Well, of course, all the images exist on the net. But of course, you know, in terms of, of the issue of copyright, for example, you have to be able to you know record your own uh, f- photographic material for this sort of thing. Also, I mean, it's an interesting point. I, we had a discussion about whether, for example, we should clean the sleeves up where there's I mean, my sleeves are generally quite tidy anyway, but they're often, you know, wear and tear marks or the odd uh, written note or something from something I might have bought secondhand or whatever. And we decided to leave them in because in a way what we wanted to do was tell the story of the work, but also essentially reference my collection. I I mean, I'd hate to call it a vanity project, but I I hope it's steeped in me in a funny sort of way and my passion for this subject. But I would say it's steeped in uh, a typical fan. Uh, and it's it's like when you buy a, an old annual of, of something that you enjoyed when you were young, and, it, and it's got some it's got uh, three and six written on it, and or somebody's name scrawled in in biro, and it's just something quite sweet about a, a, a lost life that's out there somewhere. Exactly, and you know if you look through the book, there are sleeves which have um, labels on, for example, from uh, PR companies that give you the release date or the people that were working on the record release. So yeah, I, I think so. I, I entirely know what you mean. I mean one. One of the joys of uh, the digital age is it's been much easier over the last sort of decade or so to find other people and communicate some of that passion. I mean, 20, 30 years ago, I'm sure people like me existed all over the place, but there was no easy way for people to join together and celebrate in that. Just, just to explain, uh, dear readers, uh, we actually went to university together uh, to do a, um, a lovely little uh, Mickey Mouse degree. But at the time, I had decided that uh, this music wasn't cool enough, and uh, and to be really cool, you had to listen to jazz, classical, and uh, a torturous indie um, coming from Manchester or something like that. But I, it, you turned my life around, Mark Elliott. <laughs> well, I do try and do that. I, I mean, it's interesting. Somebody was asking me the other day about whether one should revise one's view of things with hindsight, and yeah. I don't really like reinterpretation or reviewing things. My honest view about that subject is if you didn't like it then but you do now, you probably weren't being entirely honest about your own 
perspective on mu- on that type of music at the time. And I've never been interested in being cool. I think having a really clear view of what you like and projecting that with real confidence is far cooler than just saying I like something mm. when, you know, I like the Smiths too, but I much preferred Sunita. That's the truth <laughs> of the matter. That was true in 87 and it's true in uh, 2017. shared our love of Doctor Who, which at the time was going through a bit of a, a crisis. So, uh, I mean, I certainly was out and proud in that respect. So I, I think you, you you allowed me to be out and proud. And obviously for, for birthdays and Christmas, I would always find uh, wrapped up beautifully would be the latest uh, release of uh, Adonis Summer or whatever else you felt that would improve my life. Well, yes, I do have a confession to make. I mean, part of, I suppose, being confident about one's choices is wanting everybody else to share in them with you. So I spent a lot of time, I suppose, promoting the work of these artists and making sure that friends and family were recipients of such uh, gifts at Christmas time and birthdays etc. headlines at six o'clock in the house Stop of lords a vote is taking place now on a challenge to the Stop poll tax tory rebels have said that the tax as the headlines continued presenter nicholas witchell sat on one of the women and put his hand over her mouth to muffle her protests senior television news executives rushed in with a hacksaw to remove the women's handcuffs as all that was going on sue lawley was left to apologize to viewers they said they were protesting against clause 28 of the local government bill and were able to walk through television... Because it's time for comic relief! Good evening. There's been a major air crash tonight near the Scottish border. A Pan-American jumbo jet carrying more than 250 people has crashed near the town of Lockerbie in Dumfries. you learnt about the era and Stock Aitken and Waterman that even you as a, as a as a as an arch fan didn't know about of course yeah i mean the reality is is that there's a lot of myths and legends built up around what they did and 
Obviously, as I've said, um, there's a sense that certain bits of the story have been coloured to reflect a certain view. So the book is able to uh, put right a few myths that are built up about the way in which some certain songs were created. Um, And I'll talk about one briefly because it's a well-documented case, which was the idea that the Dead or Alive single, You Spin Me Round Like a Record, which was actually their first number one as producers, was in part influenced by the fact that they'd left on a really weird looping synthesizer effect, essentially by mistake, which gives it that very distinctive whirly kind of tinkly noise that runs all the way up and down through the track. And Mike absolutely dismisses that story. It's a great story and it's probably why it's been built up over the years because obviously it makes the whole process sound more interesting than it was. But as he says in the book, um, no, it was always meant to sort of sound like it was spinning around on a deck because the title of the song is You Spin Me Around Like a Record. So there's a sense of go figure about that one. The other one, of course, is something like uh, Roland Rat, for example. So, interestingly enough... How could we forget Roland Rat? Roland Rat, yes, exactly. So, he uh, had uh, some hit records in the uh, years prior. um, And then in 86, he uh, transferred over to the BBC. And BBC Records obviously commissioned a, a new album by the puppet... And uh, Stock Aitken Waterman contributed to some tracks on the album, allegedly. It actually transpires that Stock Aitken Waterman, or at least Mike Stock, had nothing to do with those records, which is very interesting because it's one of a very few number of occasions where a Stock Aitken Waterman credit actually is attributed to something that probably came from the wider team working around Stock Aitken Waterman, but the core Stock and Aitken team actually didn't work on the music um, there's a real difference between what was the PWL studio setup, if you like and the working dynamic between Mike, Matt and Pete um, there aren't many examples of that. I, I, I guess uh, Mr Blobby's agent uh, snaps at Roland Rat. I guess so, I mean I have to say uh, despite the uh, the support uh, uh, you know kind of contractual if not uh, practical uh, of Stock Aitken Waterman on uh, those records didn't actually help that uh, album and the subsequent singles do very much in the charts and so consequently that was the last recorded contribution uh, from Roland Rat at all and I mean it, I must say just to cut in Mark I have no recollection of any music from Roland Rat at Roland Rat had a really really good song lots of talking lots of action Roland Rat's the main attraction with a penthouse suite swimming pool pretty young guinea 
keep explaining Cool Rolls Royces, yachts, caviar I told you once I'm a superstar La-dee-da, la-dee-dee I'm a megastar, don't question me Wanna chauffeur with a limousine Live a life of luxury, that's my dream Carry credit cards, diamond rings These are a few of my friends You faded me out, Kevin How dare you? And here's a story for you. Nothing to do with Stock Aitken Waterman. Uh, and this shows uh, really how uncool I was. Um, I, uh, in early 1984, there was a song by Roland Rack called Rat Rapping. And I thought oh, it was a thing. really good, albeit yeah. a bit cheesy, kind of pop take on what was an emerging sort of breakdance uh, rap <laughs> scene. Um, at, a, at a school disco, I was talking to the DJ and he said, oh, God, Mark, what, what, what would you like me to play next? And I said, rat rapping, because I thought it actually was quite a good poppy dance record. And indeed it is. Check it out, listeners. It's on YouTube. <laughs> um, anyway, of course, needless to say, he didn't play that. The main story this evening, 74 football supporters are reported to have been crushed to death at the FA Cup final at Hillsborough in Sheffield this afternoon. Hundreds goes on day after day. I'm very sad that it should have happened. It's not true that this book is a blasphemy against Islam. Um, I doubt very much that, that Khomeini or anybody else in Iran has read the book, um, or more than selected extract. Good afternoon from Berlin. In just three days, the world has seen the city transformed from one divided by a cruel wall to one where its citizens from both east and west may come and go as they please. Where to now is? Home. Home? The TARDIS. Yes, the TARDIS. you uh, sum up the essence of PWO and how it made you feel on the dance floor? 
I think um, what's brilliant about what they did was this fantastic blend of very kind of emotive uh, uh, melody. Um, and then there's a very distinctive kind of style to the way those core melodies worked. It's quite... Um, poignant and uh, it's quite accessible and they, they, they do these very structured approaches to the way in which the songs are constructed you know you're never about a minute away from the next chorus or the next hook um, coupled with really really fantastically good dance uh, uh, kind of underbeats and obviously as time went on they became a bit poppier but the reality is is that these were just really, really good melodies with very, very catchy, dance-orientated production values. And how they made me feel at the time was absolutely euphoric. I'll be honest, I think some of the lyrics are very mainstream and not particularly progressive. Um, sure. That's because they were trying to write songs which were about emotions and circumstances all of us share, you know, the falling in love, the falling out of love stuff. So that necessarily makes it kind of a bit one-dimensional. But on the other hand... I, I think, think that was probably my issue with Stockhate and Autumn. That was, it was a sort of a huge sugar rush yes. of sort of happy Stockhate sounds. Yeah. But, you know, there's something quite interesting about that because when, for example, I used to love I Should Be So Lucky, I kind of really got the kind of pathos behind that song. It struck me at that point, and Kylie and I are very similar ages. She's a couple of months older than me, as indeed is Jason Donovan. Um, to me, it felt like it was a bit like I was sort of dreaming of a different life that as a sort of gay man, even at that stage, even though I probably was internalising that more than being particularly open about it, um, since... Uh, you know, created a sense in me that there was a life waiting for me that one day I might be lucky enough to uh, inhabit and uh, that sort of liberation that might come in due course. So although, you know, on a level it was about a trite, unrequited love interest, it was also for me about something much deeper, which was about, um, you know, a, a kind of yearning for something better. And although... That's, you that's know, really sweet, actually. Yeah, maybe, you know, you could listen to me saying that and think I'm reading too much into it. Mm. But actually, the, uh, the best pop music works on lots of different levels. And Absolutely. that, for me, uh, would be a good example of why I think people that criticise Stock Aitken and Waterman, and indeed Motown, which has a similar kind of um, kind of approach, I guess. Factory approach. Would yeah, you say, yeah, well, factory... Well, I mean, yeah, the critics might say yeah. that. But at the end of the day, it's about a really frenetic work rate and a formula that works. If that makes it a factory then fair enough i mean mike says he hates that label the hit factory because it doesn't necessarily convey the passion and professionalism that went into That's trying so. to do that work so i kind of get that um and actually in a way there's nothing wrong with a factory producing brilliant work i mean uh, well, rolls royces come from a factory for example <laughs> well i think the significant word is hits uh, absolutely so. hits and at the end of the day i don't think uh, you know there's any any kind of greater value in the kind of, I suppose, the indie kid approach of, you know, this sort of tortured bedroom approach where actually they had to go into a studio and record work. They had to hit a release schedule demanded by a record label. It's kind of the same. It just is, depends how they badged it. Stock Aiken and Waterman were simply more honest about it all. I 
Riley, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you on going live. It's a bit tricky to know where to start, whether we talk about the music first or we talk about the acting, because both are incredibly successful. Well, how about Neighbours? Sing. Let's talk sing. about Neighbours. The water in Mallorca doesn't taste like what it ought to. No, no. The water in Mallorca don't taste like what it ought to. The water in Mallorca doesn't taste quite how it should. Mallorca! 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 Here you are. Get your laughing gear on there. Oh, golly. The water in Mallorca... What's that? ...don't taste like what it ought to. Gosh. Heineken refreshes the parts what other beers cannot reach. So it's time for another track now, Mark. Uh, well, uh, you know, looking through the years of uh, Stockhaven and Waterman. Okay, well, I think we're going to have to pick the queen of high energy, Hazel Dean. Uh, I love this song because it was essentially the first song or hit that they had written and it was the first top 10 hit and I think it really stands up today. It's a great record and I think it epitomises everything that Stock Aitken Waterman were about in those early years. So this is uh, Whatever I Do, Wherever I Go from Hazel Dean. I fight the night To be alone has never frightened me Behind the light Oh, God. 
I've some mates around. How many? I thought I'd cook that special chicken thing you do. And it says use chicken stock here. Chicken stock, yes. So does that mean real chicken stock? Yes, Jason, that means real chicken stock. So what you can also do? Will it do? Of course it'll do. It smells fantastic. It's not bad, is it? Too. Not bad at all. I think chicken oxo is made of. 1990. Mrs Thatcher, who's led the country longer than any Prime Minister this century, will move out of Downing Street next week. She announced her resignation this morning in the interests of party unity. More than 20,000 demonstrators, the organisers claimed, were drumming out their message that the campaign against the poll tax is alive and kicking. But later, peaceful protests turned to confrontation. John Major will go to Buckingham Palace at half past ten tomorrow morning and return to Downing Street as the youngest Prime Minister this century. At 47, after only 11 years in Parliament, he won today's Conservative... Congratulations on your exam results. Grandma, I failed. You failed? What do you mean you failed? You didn't pass anything? Pottery. Pottery? Very useful. Anthony, people will always need plates. Anything else? And sociology. An ology? It gets an ology and it says it's failed. You get an ology, you're a scientist. A phone call says a lot. The most brilliant boys, the teachers who are wrong, you know, they can't mark. A lot of them can't see. Now, even though I've said, you know, there's a certain style of, of sound and that sugar rush of, of synth and, and the harmonies and all the rest of it, um, 
There were artists that sounded really very different to each other. It wasn't all the, all the same. I mean, I'm thinking particularly of Zig Zig Sputnik, who um, their single, I don't know what it's called, Shooting It Up or something like that, <laughs> which was apparently was, was from these guys. Well, uh, Zig Zig Sputnik had had a couple of hits with stuff they'd done themselves, uh, and that's what you're referring to, Love Missile F111, which was a top three hit, I think, in uh, 1986. Um, they worked with Stockache and Waterman on, the, on a material for their second album, and they released a single from it called Success and as Mike says in the book it was a slightly odd marriage because Zig Zig Sputnik had very very distinct ideas about what constituted a melody and how they wanted the record to sound. Um, I'd say it's an interesting experiment it didn't set the charts alight, it did get into the UK top 40 um, but um, it was billed as being a kind of modern 21st century pop record and I think it's a Ooh, it's a slightly uncomfortable mix of what was good about Stock Aiken and Waterman and what was good about Zig Zig Sputnik and actually what comes out is something that doesn't really serve either terribly well but it's an interesting oddity and does I suppose represent uh, a slightly different side to what people routinely think about uh, the work from the team. sort of crossovers from the more, if you like, uh, indie uh, market that uh, were embraced into the bosom of uh, Stockade and Waterman? Well, I think you'd have to start with Dead or Alive, to be honest with you. I mean, okay. they were a kind of uh, a much cooler band. I mean, they, they'd started on indie labels in the early 80s. They'd had some success with their first album, which was called Sophisticated Boom Boom, uh, and they'd had a hit with a cover version of Casey and the Sunshine Bands. That's the way I like it. But they weren't really in any way a pop band. They were really a kind of, I suppose, a sort of rock dance band who had sort of latched onto this high energy sound and uh, came to Stock Aiken Waterman or Pete Waterman in the first instance because they'd love the Hazel Dean record. So that would be one example. I mean, I think in terms of an interesting mix, uh, which is what you're referring to, the best example probably is the Stock Aiken Waterman work with the heavy metal band Judas Priest, which wow. to this day has never been released. Oh, well, so um, it's probably the, uh, the tracks that fans would most like to hear. But um, as Pete Waterman told me on a separate occasion, um, the band just felt that they couldn't release the material because it was, quote-unquote, impossible to follow up because they felt, and this is a quote from Pete, that it would have been a number one and therefore they'd have never been able to follow it up with anything else. So uh, the tracks remain unreleased to this day. 
What a bizarre reason not to release a track because it will get to number one. Well, they're in the kind of, I suppose, the point I've been making about the way in which I think some bands almost take a contrary uh, view of about what is important and what, uh, you know, what they want to do. I mean, I've got nothing wrong with things having critical, if not commercial success. But the idea that you would necessarily kind of limit your commercial success because you just didn't feel you could cope with it is 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 slightly odd to me President Bush announcing that the Allied military operation to liberate Kuwait has begun. After years of unconfirmed rumors, singer Freddie Mercury of Queen announced on Saturday that he had in fact contracted AIDS and that while he previously kept that information from the press, he now urged people around the world to unite in fighting what he called this terrible disease. Then on Sunday, the 45-year-old singer died of bronchopneumonia at his home in West London. of all the different artists that they work with, uh, who were, you know, were the, the golden boys and girls and, and, and perhaps if you're allowed to spill the beans a little bit, some of the artists who perhaps were a little bit difficult? Can we ask you that, Mark? You can. I mean, it's it's well documented that Kylie was a dream to work with. You know, she'd had this acting career. Um, she was very well versed in turning up and being pitch perfect with her lines and therefore with her recording process. So that's an example of uh, somebody in the good corner. Mm. In the bad corner, one would have to put Dead or Alive. That was a fairly fractious relationship, particularly oh. on the second album. But I'm going to pick actually uh, Bananarama, and in particular Siobhan, who uh, was obviously working uh, with Stock Aitken Waterman as part of Bananarama for Venus and then subsequently the Wow album. Now, as Mike says in the book, you know, Siobhan had a very defined view of how she wanted the direction of Bananarama to go. And the success they had with songs like I Heard a Rumour and Venus and Love in the First Degree was in some ways a bit of a uh, an annoyance to her because it was just a bit too mainstream. And I think uh, Mike uh, would say to this day that although the work that they all produced uh, was fantastic and, and came out brilliantly, they were not easy people to work with. Siobhan in particular was always considered to be the ringleader. Of course, she then left after that work with Stock Aitken and Waterman and went and did Shakespeare's Shakespeare sister. sister. Yeah. Um, and I don't think Karen and Sarah, who then worked with Mike and uh, Pete again for the Please Yourself album right towards the end of the Stock uh, Aitken era, uh, Stock Aitken Waterman era, um, were any necessarily a lot easier to deal with. But of course, people had matured a bit and uh, it was a few years later. <laughs> 
But uh, I had a rumour, Mark. <laughs> but <a> rumor. it's <laughs> genuinely the best Bananarama song, I feel, uh, from the Stock Aitken Waterman stable, and I think that's a perfect cue to launch straight into it. So uh, let's cut them talking and get on with a great record. Ah! I heard a rumour there, uh, Barana Rama, in all their majesty. Um, Mark Elliott's choice. He's here to discuss his uh, fantastic coffee table, luxurious book called Ministry of Pop. And if you open it, it sounds like this. It certainly does, and it will draw you in, and you will be bathed in joy. Um, what did you think of that track, Mark? I love that track. I mean, for me, uh, it's just a great melody and a fantastic video. Of course, at that point, Bananarama were really pushing the envelope with this sort of whole muscle men approach, which, of course, I found rather thrilling as a uh, 20-year-old young man full of hormones, etc. I'm sure I don't know what you mean, sir. <laughs> well, just have a look at the record sleeve for a while. That, that says it all, really. It was kind of playful and camp, but also quite sexy. Scratch! and sniff. 
with Nick Randall. When Lukey Barkin is out in space There's only one thing he carries in case It's the creamiest milk, the whitest bar The yummy, goodness, and milky bar Now, it's interesting that um, a lot of the people they picked to um, become pop stars uh, weren't necessarily uh, pop stars before. They weren't necessarily known for their singing. And quite often they would get people from soap operas because uh, they were big with the audiences of the time, the teenagers, etc. Do, do you think that generally was uh, uh, you know, a, a good route for them to mine? Or do you think they could have been looking elsewhere, perhaps people who have been actually just focusing on, on music? Well, the, that all obviously started primarily with the Kylie Minogue uh, uh, kind of experience, which was just actually a, a happy accident. She was an artist signed to a, a record label called Mushroom Records in Australia. And so she could just to, 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 to um, be clear about this. Was she a singer before? No. She'd, she'd had a career as, an, as a TV actress and had appeared in sort of variety shows on TV where she sang. But no, she, she'd had a number one hit in Australia in 87 with her version of The Locomotion, which was not the version that was a hit single in Europe and uh-huh. in the US uh, a, a year or so later. Um, she came over to uh, London because of this relationship between Pete Waterman and uh, the Australian record label. They hadn't heard of her. Neighbours hadn't really taken off at that point. Um, it was a happy accident that she was who she was, coinciding with Neighbours already being on TV. And from that, I suppose, came a formula, um, which then, of course, led to Jason Donovan working with them uh, you know, a few months later. But I don't know necessarily it was a predetermined route. I mean... From my understanding of how artists would come to work to them, it was essentially a kind of a bit of a mix. It was a, they were producers and songwriters for hire. They uh, were networking and they were basically offered opportunities to work with different people. Um, I don't think, because they weren't managers in that way, I don't think there was ever really a sense that they had a predetermined view of who it was they would and wouldn't work with, nor did they develop people particularly, or not so much in the early years. But did, did, was, was some of the thinking the fact that, well, if we got this person who's, who looks hot and sexy on, on a soap and is very popular with all the audiences, that uh, therefore it's going to be a bit of a shoo-in, as long as they can sing a note. Yeah, I I mean, Jason Donovan uh, was an obvious attempt to replicate the Kylie model. Absolutely, um, yeah. They did also work with people who had a bit of a track record. So Samantha Fox obviously did a song or two with them in the uh, second and third albums. Um, and that was obviously then building on people with a pre-existing formula. But again, you know, I think, it, you know, it's all about luck, you know, with this sort of thing. They could have worked with the with Kylie. Neighbours might not have been on BBC One. Mm. It may have been a hit in Australia because she had a big you know, profile and track record there with the locomotion, but actually there was no reason to assume, for example, that those first couple of records would do as well as they did in the States. But know. also there was, there was I can't remember their names, but the, the, the twins in Neighbours, there was Stefan Dennis with... Uh... They didn't do Stefan Dennis, they did work oh. with the twins, and that was that was much later on in the early 90s, and by then, of course, the, uh, the mood of the public and uh, the mood of the industry and the sounds of the industry had shifted a bit, and stock... Uh, Aiken and Waterman were, were sort of considered to be a bit passe at that point um, so that didn't do as well
1992. There have been two explosions in the centre of Manchester. More than 60 people have been injured and thousands evacuated from offices and shops. Anti-terrorist officers said it was the work of the IRA and they deliberately made warnings confusing. the centuries-old Windsor Castle, one of the Queen's residences, has been consumed by fire for much of the day. 150 firemen have been battling the blaze, which has caused millions of pounds worth of damage. In Britain today, the news is all about Prince Charles, heir to the throne, and Princess Diana. They have separated, officially. The Prime Minister made the announcement... 1992 is not a year on which I shall look back with undiluted pleasure. It has turned out to be an annus horribilis. Now, one thing Carol Decker said to me when I spoke to to pals Carol Decker um, a while ago was that uh, when they came to do their third difficult album, uh, not second, uh, th th everything had ch changed quite a lot in the pop world. They they were delayed quite a bit. Her father died, etc., etc. So by the time they came to um, put their third album out, you know, to quote Carol herself, she just said, "Oh, everybody was so over their music." And, and of course, the irony being, um, it's all come back full circle now, which is fantastic. How did that? That impact on Stock Aitham and Waterman was it, and there was it around the similar period. Yeah, essentially, I think two things happened. One, um, music evolves constantly; things go out of favour, and audiences want to move on to the next thing. The best artists keep up with that, but it's an almost impossible task to do indefinitely. Um, the other thing that happened was there were some complications around the business structure, not so much with the core working team of Stock Aiken and Waterman, but PWL, the record label Pete had set up to support it. And I think those two things got in the way a little bit of the working relationship. So Mike will say, you know, the work output was as fast and as frenetic as ever, but they just weren't able to get the songs released in the way they had a year or two earlier. So I think it was a combination of two things. Matt uh, left the partnership um, pretty burnt out at the dawn of the 90s, and so Pete and Mike carried on working together. But I think it was inevitable at some point they needed to break away, do their own thing, and of course both Pete and Mike went on to have considerable success after the uh, relationship had actually ended. The Grand National has been declared void after an amazing mix-up when 20 horses ran the race despite a second false start. A steward's inquiry has been held. The decision is that the race will not be rerun been described as the most sensational occurrence in the long My fellow Americans, the this evening I want to speak with you about an attack by the government of Iraq against the United States and the actions we have just taken to respond. This past April, the Kuwaiti government uncovered what they suspected. There was a time when I thought for me, they 
Hello. I'm sorry to bother you, but I'm having a dinner party and I've run out of coffee. <laughs> Come in. Thank you. Will Goldblend be too good for your guests? Oh, I think they could get used to it. It's a very sophisticated coffee. They have very sophisticated taste. Do they? Yes. Well, I must be getting back. Now, golden roasted, richer, smoother, Nescafe Gold Blend. Have you met your new neighbor yet? Oh, I've uh, popped in for coffee. So let's have a final nod to uh, Saw and, you know, the final days, you know, the, the, the dying embers, I think you, you mentioned earlier. What was the last hurrah, do you think, in terms of a song? Well, the last, there's two songs I'm going to pick. Uh, I'm not sure you're going to play them both, but I'm going to mention them anyway. The last uh, really great single that had the badge Stock Aiken Waterman on it was a single called That's What Love Can Do by a band called Boy Crazy. They did nothing here much in the UK, but in the US this was a very surprising top 20 hit um, where they were unknown as they were here, and it was just a great song that cut through on radio. So that would be one pick. I think by the time it was just Mike and Pete working together, the last really, really good song I'm going to pick would be uh, Sybil. When I'm Good and Ready, which was, again, a good example of a vocalist who uh, was really strong and a really good melody. And, of course, it ended up being quite a big hit.
listening to pop journalist Mark Elliott on SNS Online. And if you want to comment on this or any other show, then please join our Facebook page, SNS Online, or Twitter, SNS Online. All our shows are free and downloadable by searching on SoundCloud for, wait for it, wait for it, SNS Online. I do hope you're taking all this down. We also have an email address, which is snsonlineshow at gmail.com. And now... I think it's the perfect opportunity for Mark to list his ultimate Stock, Aitken and Waterman top 10. Take it away, Mark. Okay, so here is the exclusive Mark Elliott view of the top 10 Stock, Aitken and Waterman records. At number 10, we have Brother Beyond and The Harder I Try. At number nine, it's Hazel Dean and Whatever I Do, Wherever I Go. At number eight, it's Rick Astley and It Would Take a Strong, Strong Man. Number seven, Mel and Kim, That's the Way It Is. Number six, Dead or Alive, Brand New Lover. Number five, Laura Branigan and Shattered Glass. Number four, Cliff Richard, I Just Don't Have the Heart. Number three, Bananarama, I Heard a Rumor. Number two, Kylie, Better the Devil You Know. So many tracks, so little time. What is your number one? It's really hard to try and pick a song that kind of best encapsulates it. Um, I'm going to have to pick my favourite Stock Aiken Waterman single, which is uh, Donna Summer. This time I know it's for real. It's just a fantastic melody. She is an amazing singer, and I think at their very best, when they were paired with really, really good vocalists, and I would include Kylie in that, actually, um, they created magic and I think this is a magical record that brings a smile to my face every time I play it.
Donna Summer, this time I know it's for real. Mark Elliott's ultimate sore track. Well, the Ministry of Pop is now out in all good bookshops and online outlets. Um, Mark, give us some more details about, you know, cost and uh, limited editions, etc, etc. Yeah, sure. Uh, the basic facts are that it retails at £40 from the publisher's uh, website um, and you can buy it in other places for more at the moment. So Pledge Music, for example. Um, £40 is a standard edition, which comes in a very luxuriant uh, white and gold sleeve. I'm holding it. I'm holding it. And then in a more kind of limited way, uh, there are five variant covers of different colours. So there's a red and a blue and a purple and a pink and th- so on. And that look really stunning. It's a great package. Um, the books look really interesting and uh, I'm I'm advising everybody to buy clearly a set of all of them so that they can look really stunning on everybody's shelf. And apparently you've signed an awful lot uh, w- with Mike Stock as well, is that right? Uh, no, just me actually. I, um, as part of the um, limited edition uh, proposition, I uh, signed a certificate of authenticity which has been bound into each of those limited edition uh, editions. So basically, uh, you know, if you get one that isn't signed by Mark, it might be worth an awful lot of money. <laughs> yes, exactly, yes. There's more value in the ones I haven't signed than the ones that I have. Scratch and sniff. Online! With Nick Randall. So, Mark Elliott, it's been absolutely fascinating to talk to you today all about Stock Aitman and Waterman. We hope the boys are listening, um, separately or together, um, toasting their success with a glass of wine. Uh, who knows? Uh, the Ministry of Pop is available in all good uh, bookshops and probably some disreputable ones as well, and also online, Amazon, etc., etc. Um, can I just open it one more time, Mark? You can. I'm never going to get used to that. Mark Elliott, thank you so much. Um, Only remains for me to, as usual, with all our guests, to give you your celebrity goodie bag. Oh, my God. How exciting. Mark Elliott, thank you very much. Thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure, as always. Fabulous.
Well, we're not quite done yet. Take a listen to this. Scratch and sniff. Scratch and sniff? Scratch and sniff! I didn't know I was agreeing to that. (laughs) I thought those days were over. I really enjoy working in small theatres. I don't like the huge, spectacular shows, you know. I quite like to see the audience. The whites of their eyes. Yeah, not quite, not quite. I'm glad I'm not Emily Dickinson. What a miserable life led she. She didn't have Cadbury's dairy milk and nobody came for tea. My father said, dentistry would be a very useful uh, career for you. You can use it any country in the world and as a Jew you might be thrown out any time. Still it remains in me that that possibility. I think all good actors are trying to shine a light on what it means to be human. Mm. You know, and to look at human behaviour and, and to look at contradiction. And this is what and David Bowie saw this. Is this true? David Bowie saw this and then uh, wanted you to make a documentary about him? Yes, he asked me if I'd like to meet up and would I, he liked what he saw. And I mean, thought, what a compliment. Yeah, it, it kind of was. Maybe Fantastic. it was rash judgment to make. <laughs> and this woman came up to me and she said, Now tell me, have you made any movies? And I said, well, no, I haven't been to Betty Ford yet. Well, if I could have gone through that floor. (laughs) And somebody came pounding across the beach at me. I thought, oh, no, not here, not now. Leave me running towards me, running towards me. And I... And they ran straight past me. (laughs) (laughs) By hook or by crook, I ended up meeting them in their hotel. The words breaking in are so vulgar. For a 16-year-old Beatlemaniac <laughs> to spend eight days with John and Yoko, I still don't believe it. And then I was with Douglas mm. uh, Adams. I will always remember Douglas's immortal words. She can't sing, she can't dance, she can't act. What's the good of her? <laughs> and for some reason I was insulted. And then the door opened and I went, Blimey, you're Shelley Winters. And she said, and who are you? And I said, I'm Derry Foles. And she put her tongue right down my throat. <laughs> I never saw her again the rest of the evening. Are you enjoying now far more than you were enjoying the height of your success? No. Because at the height of my success, I was on private jets and limousines <laughs> and I wouldn't be stuck in a pub with the likes of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's charming, that is. And Brit Eklund turned and gave me a smile such as you have never seen. And I got this wonderful, utter, total attention until she realised I was absolutely no use to her whatsoever and it was all turned off as though the light was... Oh, no! It did make me laugh. And also by the Scotsman, uh, apparently you are tender, frightened and convincing. I mean, it's working for me. (laughs) (laughs) I've made Sandy Walsh blush, but in in a good way. It was for me, being in the supermarket in Accrington and my elderly lady's coming up to me and saying, when are you and Murray getting married? And me saying, well, we're not allowed to because Hayley's transgender and, and them going, never mind that, they should be together. And that's the way to change the world. I'd say about yeah. this film is it's perfect to take someone on a date to because... Because you don't have to at, talk to them. Yeah. Did you do the old yawn, arms around the back, <laughs> creeping down the front? It was very I'm, tempting. I'm doing a bit. <laughs> Sliding the bra out of the top, yeah. <laughs> An art to that. I interviewed on the same day Idi Amin and Harold Pinto. Difficult for me to say who was most difficult and intimidating of <laughs> the two of them. Well, I mean, were you in the same room as these uh, I was in the same room as Harold Pinto. I oh. wasn't necessarily, but I, I collected them. That's probably the and best then put choice them together that too. <laughs> yeah, Harold always was, but we became good friends over the years, mm. and I didn't continue my relationship with Idi Amin, I can tell you that. <laughs> 
and I had a terrible problem because my Hamlet kept treading on my very pointed toe shoes, you see, so I had to keep trying to leave the stage, but of course I couldn't because he was on the foot. And it was written as this sort of very camp thing, and I actually knew a couple of people that auditioned for it, and they said, oh, it's this very sort of camp actory type. Mm. I thought, well, I could do that. But it said, Len is tall, and uh, Mark Gator sent me an email and said, will you give me a ring? And I thought... He's not doing that to tell me I've got it. Uh, he's just being nice because he is the nicest man in the world. And he said, look, we've, we loved what you did, but... And I said, you've gone for somebody tall, haven't you? And he went, yeah. <laughs> I could never get an agent for years because of my disability, so I had to be my own, which was good for me, actually, because it taught me a lot of discipline. And so I'm negotiating the right fee, hopefully. Okay. <laughs> yeah, not as good on that one. More about getting the role. Now, what makes this film interesting is that it's actually really the story about two men, because J. Edgar Hoover... For all Sorry, of the... <laughs> <laughs> Look, Nick, there's not much man-on-man action in this uh, movie. But yeah, what it is, okay, is a sort of story Just about... Just very intense here, right? Go on, go on. It's a story about... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we haven't done this readers for a couple of months. Uh, so, anyway, go on. OK. Yes, this better be good. So, <laughs> <laughs> so basically... J. Edgar Hoover, famously, was he gay? And I just think, actually, that if you don't have older actors and older actresses, you're not really getting a view of a balanced society. How much can you tell us about Mary Poppins, and uh, can you succumb to tickling or bribery? Um, neither, because otherwise I'll just get a huge <laughs> smack bottom from Disney. Um, uh, uh, I can only tell you that it's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> and there are amazing people in it. And if you, if you know. know who's in Meryl it, I mean, Street, Meryl Emily Streep, uh, and uh, uh, Emily and Colin Firth. Oh. And Meryl Streep's a bit overrated, I think. <laughs> oh, apparently. Sad! Exclamation <laughs> mark. And then there was a guy who was supposed to shout something from the wings, and he didn't come on. And I, very oh. quick thinking, because I've got a very deep voice, I rushed off to do this old character who actually was still in the toilet. Okay. And I went off and I went, and the line was, Give me some light. And then I ran back on as Ophelia. <laughs> I've made up for it. I, yeah. I've spent many, many years since making amazing commercials, teaching people how to make sure that they don't get infected with STIs. Oh, right, that's so lovely. I'm, I'm, I'm the voice of chlamydia. So the review came in the next day. The first Ophelia to start out mad and go slowly say. My simple mantra is... Never accept the world as it is. Dream of what the world could be and then help make it happen. No, I love it. Carol Decker on Scratch and Sniff with a goodie bag. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it tremendously. And uh, thank you for, for picking up on so many things that I'd, I'd actually forgotten about. Did Katie get all this? Oh, yes, she got all this, yeah. No, wonderful. Tell you, Nick, it's been a total pleasure. I should get highly drunk. Thank you very much. What an enjoyable interview.